Hello and welcome to the Rolling Mall, the Leicester Tigers fans podcast, stupid podcast about a stupid game that I don't even care about anymore. I don't, Elliot, do you do the same as me? Whenever like your side suffers a loss, you for like 24 hours to a week, depending on how bad the loss is, you go into a state of denial. It must be like one of those seven stages of grief things that they talk about, where I, I personally, I pretend the sport doesn't exist and I turn my mind to anything else to try and distract me. Yeah, but how many internationals did you watch on uh, Saturday? Oh, loads. I became basically uh, a purely one of those like uh, Twickenham Prawn Sandwich Brigade fans. You know, oh, I don't know anything about the club. The Freddie Stewart, I haven't heard of him. And well, basically, basically just got on it all day and just basically spent, I know nothing about rugby and just got on it all day. Yeah, yeah. So it's purely an HQ man. But basically, I, I watched um, the, well, I, di- I didn't actually watch, even watch the England game. I had a lovely weekend with some of my oldest friends, one of whom is uh, moving to New Zealand at the very, uh, short space of time so it's actually the first time i think since all of us have had kids that all of us got together with our wives with, with, with the kids it's a very different kind of weekend to the ones we usually 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 had that we used to have where we basically get really pissed and this time there were more nappy changes than beers to be honest but it was very very nice so i didn't have too much time to wallow in the defeat to be honest but uh you weren't there but you, you were going and supporting a, a different sport weren't you on the saturday yes rugby league um, no, 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 say it properly. Leg. Rugby leg. Well, you'd have to be Beppy from EastEnders. That was incredible. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, the rugby league. Ah, it's cold in the north. But how was um, how was it? I mean, obviously, it was a, ultimately a very disappointing loss uh, at the end of it. It was grim, lad. It was absolutely grim. It was grim. Good. No, it was good. It was. It was uh, my dad's um, 60th birthday last month, and that was his um, birthday present, was to get him tickets for the Rugby League. Um, we are both Wigan Warriors fans, so uh, but never have actually been to a game. Um, so obviously you buy the tickets not knowing who's going to be there because it's a semi-final. And then as quirk of the fixtures, uh, England got there. Um, so really good um, atmosphere. Got better as the game went on. Um, different styles between Samoa and um, in England. Samoa a lot more um, happy to get the ball out wide, as you'd probably expect. England very narrow, um, which is a bit of a shame, really, made for a tough game. But, um, and then England did well to fight their way back in before Samoa struck in the extra time period with a golden point, which I think is a fantastically um, brilliant thing. I am all over that. It's like in, when in football, remember in like France 98, they had the golden goal in extra time. I am all for that. I love that. I think it was superb because then you, because you could see all the players on the pitch shit themselves. But as soon as, as soon as it kicked off, all of them were like, I can't drop the ball. I can't miss a tackle. If that's, I do, it's game over. That's it. I mean, like, it, it's really cruel. But at the same time, it is elite sport. It's what you want. It's the high drama of it. I, I love that. You know, I think France even won a game with the golden goal. And, you know, I think it was, you know, Stade de France went absolutely tits. It was absolutely amazing. I'm all over that. But I mean, it was a weekend of heartbreak at the start, really, wasn't it? Because obviously I had Tigers losing on Friday night, which I was at, which I take full responsibility for. We'll come to that. Um, England women losing the World Cup final on Saturday morning, which was gutting. Because I can't hold you responsible for that one. I can't hold me responsible for that one. I partially hold the officials responsible for that. Not for sending Lydia Thompson off, that was correct. But um, outstanding 
Ben Whitehouse, or Ben Shitehouse, as I've taken to calling him now, <laughs> yet again goes and invents a way to not send off an All Blacks player. It happened in the women's semi-final of the All Blacks as well. Said, oh, indirect contact to the head. The shoulder's like flying into Abby Darrell's chin. And I was astonished that wasn't a red card. And there were some really quirky calls and, again, issues about when the TMO should get involved. Really inconsistent. I thought they were so unlucky. They are the best side of the world and having a little tink up doesn't change that. Uh, really proud of them and uh, just gutted they haven't got the reward that they deserve. But then, and then the rugby league happened. So I was quite grateful for the, you know, England rugby union boys kind of pulling through and putting in a decent shift and particularly the Tigers lads. Yeah, I was about to say it was um, a mixed affair for the, uh, for our sporting um, fortunes. Um, shout out to obviously England rugby union team, shout out to Leicester City and shout out to Leicester Tigers women's team because yes. uh, all three delivered um, results on the Saturday to uh, to get us through. Um, and then Sunday, the England cricket team as well. So um, mixed, a real mixed bag. But uh, I have to say, uh, when I left the Rugby League stadium, I didn't know Leicester City's results. So at that point, moment in time, I was on a run of three from three defeats. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't looking good. <laughs> no. Well, to be fair, it's of three from three defeats. That is my record at the wreck and uh, we had the, the guys from the Bath Rugby plug on last time who may or may not tune in to see what our take on the game was well firstly it will say you can't deny what the result is Bath hung on to it and in terms of my experience I love Bath it's a great city the, and I tell you what the fans are really good and there are some really good things about the ground because it's obviously kind of half temporary you've got loads of these little um like pop-up food stalls so you've got a really good variety of stuff there i mean it all costs you know half a mortgage to, to buy but it was pretty it's pretty good stuff and loads of variety so like it let's say the fans really good nature lots of good chat like without crossing a line really really good stuff i fucking hate that stadium though not just because my <laughs> record there is shite but like the, you 45 quid and we were sat in the corner basically the corner where nothing happened by the way so it was you know up the opposite sides to what tigers were attacking in the first half and where bath were doing all their attacking in the second so it nothing happened, and we had the seats like sort of slammed into our uh, shins. Uh, it, unless you're five foot four, it's just awful. There's no cover. Forty five quid. I think it's an absolute Mickey take. Uh, but it was a good atmosphere there, considering it got a bit stale in the second half. Um, most of the game, second half actually, the local fans we were spotting a bloke in the corporate who decided that he was quite easy to be influenced and decided to start chinning a pint. And everyone was cheering him uh, and then started shouting two more pints after each pint he did. And the guy must have been slaughtered. Yeah, I've never seen such a slower drinker in my life, though. It generally took at least a minute and a half for him to down each pint. It was a real anticlimax, but there we go. Um, let's go give a quick shout out as well to um, a, a lovely review um, we've had from a, a brilliant name, by the way, Tarquin. You don't get enough Tarquins these days, do you? No, no. No, exactly. No. More, more of it, but Tarquin gets in touch. Say every week, I can't wait for the next installment of the pod. Boys are honest, open, brutal at times, and ready to challenge the media, media assuming you mean the media, with that players and coaches on their performances. Funny, silly, serious, and entertaining, all rolled into one pod. I only started listening to podcasts, listening to this show. I've now branched out to the point I can no longer listen to the radio in the car, apart from live matches. The only thing missing is a weekly review from the listeners section when we would get to hear what other fans thought of the latest game. That is something that we've talked about earlier, about trying to get in maybe how we do three-word reviews, how we could also try and get in some sound bites uh, for people, like sort of, you know, 10-second like clips of their review, and perhaps then we discuss it. But currently, we're only on Twitter, and it doesn't have the um, capability. But we are looking into that, I think it's fair to say. Um, but thank, thank you, Tolkien. Great review. Yeah, thank you very much. It's nice to uh, nice to read such things when it, when it appeared in the, uh, in the thing in the show. So thank you very much. 
yeah, and please do, do keep uh, rating and reviewing if you can. It really means a lot to us. As I say, with this is kind of a labour of love. We don't get uh, any cash apart from our sponsors, which cover our covers our costs, so it's not completely loss making. But uh, if you do want to get in touch, please do so. Our Twitter handle is at Rolling Mall Pod, and our email address is the rolling mall at outlet.com before we crack on a quick thank you to our sponsors st martin's coffee roasters who are helping us put this all together st martin's coffee roasters are a small team of coffee professionals proudly born and bred in leicester family owned and operated they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years solely focused on sourcing roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to the customers across leicestershire and the uk they're passionate tigers fans and St. Martins have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martins Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. Okay, quick bit of news. Um, two of the positive results of the weekend we alluded to earlier. Leicester Tigers women uh, continuing their perfect start to the season, running in seven tries, 39-0 victory at Nova Castrians uh, in Newcastle on Saturday. So that is another cracking result. Uh, I say seven tries, and I was delighted to see that friend of the pod, Georgia Westwood, I mean, being on the pod, has now got two tries in two. We've obviously let a fire under her. Not literally, cannot specify that enough. There has been no literal flames lit. But she's a try-scoring machine now. She even talks about ending up on the wing, which is where we joke she should be. I know. It, like, I don't know if, I don't, how much credit we can take for this. Probably not Maximum. a lot. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But I think there's some sort of credit out there. I mean, it's no coincidence. <laughs> I know Vicky, Vicky, Vicky occasionally listens, probably when there's nothing else to do. Uh, so uh, Vicky McQueen listens. So Vicky, um, you know, if you want to sort of give us a shout out for uh, suggesting other things, I'd like to see Fuzzle um, like coming in off the wing of the blindside wing. I think playing the Nemani role. What do you think? Well, to be honest, I think if you know if anyone goes through a bit of a drought in their scoring, send them our way and just come onto the pod. We'll get them scoring again. I mean, we've worked <laughs> wonders with Georgia. Yeah, exactly. But I also like it when your tight head prop is grabbing a brace as well. You know, all is well in the Leicester Tigers team. So that is absolutely fantastic stuff. Ladies, keep it up. Uh, look forward to seeing the rest of the games as they carry on. Now, on to um, the England men's side. I suppose to do a little bit of a Tiger watch here, considering Tommy Rafael, Montoya and Visa were all worryingly all injured. Apparently not long-term, but obviously uh, we didn't get to see any of them in action. But we did see a healthy contingent uh, on for Tigers. JVP, Guy Porter and Freddie Stewart starting for England. Uh, how do you think they went against Japan? Because that, that was before the um, the Autumn Internationals. That was deemed to be as much of as a banana skin as Argentina was going to be. And Argentina was well and truly slipped up on. And I've seen lots of people say, oh, it was only Japan. But I, I, I think that that's not the correct way to look at it. I think you've got to, whilst there are still things to look at, you've got to give that performance its due credit. Um, so I um, thought it was an okay performance. Um, however, there was still a few question marks out uh, against England. Um, personally, I think in terms of the scoreboard, I think they left some points out there. Agreed. And I think at times 
they disappointed England in terms of drop balls, wrong passes, taking the wrong option. Um, Low percentage like kicks is a big bugbear of mine at the moment. Now these kicks that if they come off, you get hailed as a genius, but you're talking about a one in 10. The Hail and Mary. The, yeah, almost, but it's a, and we'll come on to this, but I thought Tigers did it too much as well. I'm particularly guilty of doing it off an advantage, which, you know, I get when there's nothing else on, but sometimes it's a first option, which I don't like. It should be, you know, we, we've, you know, England and Leicester have got the firepower to build stuff and should be able to run through it. I thought there was some really good stuff. Let's talk about the Tigers. I thought Freddie Stewart, absolutely imperious, uh, cementing his world-class status. You're never going to get a clear consensus on who's the best fullback in the world, but I think you'd probably get a reasonable consensus that he's in the top three and therefore is in the conversation for being the best in the world. I think he's absolutely outstanding. The, love the fact as well he is proving people wrong time and time again with his attacking game now, which he is working so hard on. The outside break, he doesn't look like he's going that fast because he doesn't take too many strides, but of course you've got, got to remember that he is half giraffe. So he's eating up so much ground with each stride. Uh, and then I love the the power and the offload to JVP as well for uh, to set up Marcus Smith's first try. Um, he, he was fantastic, wasn't he? Yeah, I have to say I've I've talked about the sort of negatives from from England, how I questioned some of the stuff, and there wasn't a lot. Of, there's some bad stuff in there. One of the few, uh, one of the bright lights of the game was the Tigers contingent, and Freddie Stewart was chief amongst them. I think, like you say, in terms of the the all round game now, you know, we, when you talk about Freddie, you always think you know King of the Skies. But I think what's impressive about Fred now is the all-round game. And it's not just the break um, that you've mentioned in terms of the try scoring and the, the the awesome break in terms of not kicking the ball, but seeing what's in front of you, spotting the gap and arcing its, its way through. I think that's really good. Big fan of the hip swerve that he did there because he kind of ran sideways and his head stayed in the same position. And the guy dove, but he, it was like something out of the Matrix. His sort of hip sort of went the other way and the guy just hit air. It was awesome. And then that power through contact is like a USP amongst current fullbacks. The only guy I can remember who had that power through contact was like Chris Latham. Remember him? Um, it was as being a really quality operator in that regard, but that was fantastic to see. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I think there's, there's a lot, you know, Freddie's doing a lot of good stuff um, at the moment. And it is, as I say, it's his all round stuff. You know, he adds, each time I see him now, he seems to be adding a little bit more to his game. You know, normally, maybe two years ago, in that situation where he makes a break, once he gets the ball, he probably kicks it. But actually, he's got the confidence now to take the ball, scan what's in front of him, and if it's on, he backs himself to to go and, and make the play, which is really impressive. I think his kicking game is really impressive now. Um, you know, he's doing a turn on the wing. I, I think that suits him. I obviously mm. don't want him there all the time. but It's a good think- option, though. It is. I know we don't like it, but actually, reading the excellent Charlie Morgan's pieces... Uh, in the Telegraph, he highlights the value of that, doesn't he? And actually, yes. particularly if you have someone like, you hope, uh, Arundel, who looks such a talent, comes through as well. And having those guys able to perhaps, doesn't matter really what number they've got on their backs, but switch depending on effectively how you're looking to play, potentially even within games, is really exciting. JVP, I thought his service was, was superb as well. Uh, didn't get to see many of the little snipes, but his support lines were really good. Obviously set up that try as well. And I think... For me, he has to start now against New Zealand. I think for me, he is the number one scrum half. And uh, and then our beloved uh, Guy Porter, you know, he, he probably actually had a quieter game kind of aside from, but but he had some really good interventions. Obviously, he scored two tries, which I'm delighted to see him do. One of them showing really good speed as well to get on the uh, outside of the covering fullback and take that lovely kick through from Farrell. And then 
Uh, actually, he also grabbed a couple of really, really good turnovers. And the thing that he won't get credit for, and I suspect, you know, all this stuff about rest, resting Manu, that's all very well. But that 13 channel against Japan is a nightmare to defend when you think how wide they get and knowing how Manu likes to bite. That is exactly what Japan want to do. He was really good at pressing and then just giving off a little bit and covering it off. The amount of time Japan had to step inside because he was not biting in like they wanted him to, it was really telling. I think that would have gone unnoticed but by many, but not by Jones. thought he defended that 13 channel superbly. What I like about Guy is numerous things, but what I like about him is he does <laughs> it's, the... It's many, many things. Is the um, Just check my latest letter to him. Well, I was about to say, I've seen the security has been enhanced at Penny Hill Park, presumably <laughs> after Saturday's game, to stop either one of us. Uh, I, saw you, I saw you post that after the, the video of him doing walking on his handstand, walking on his hands was uh, uh, posted up, and he said, oh, Mike's going to be keen to get in to see this. And I just had an image of me sort of hammering my fist in sort of futile efforts on the door, shouting, let me in. But, uh, it was, <laughs> he is a man of many talents. What I like about him is the... Um, he does the unflashy stuff in a bit. Remember, like Lewis Deacon, uh, in a different position, was always criticised for being hate unflashy. To be called the Lewis Deacon of the back line. Well, I, I know, but, I know exactly what you mean in terms of that. He he will do the nuts and bolts that often get overlooked, and he will do them really well. Yeah, absolutely. He's it's not fashionable and it's not the exciting stuff, but in a team environment where you've got to do your job for the greater good, he does those sort of stuff. You know, it's the unselfish stuff. But go, like you say, it goes unnoticed. It's not flashy. It's not going to get your headlines. But actually, in a certainly in a big game against tough opponents, where it comes down to small margins and who's doing the extras, stuff like that, it could be the difference between winning or losing a game. Because if you've got someone who's more than happy to go the extra mile and do those, like you say, the nasty stuff, that that's invaluable. And Guy is a master at it. Um, and I think to be fair, on a as I say, it was a good win for England and they did play well. However, there was it's not a convincing win in my book. I still think there was some there's question marks out there. I think the Tigers boys shone through. I think they all yeah. came through um in their different roles. I know Hazy and uh, Youngsy had brief cameos, but you know, in their all respective roles that they came on to do and were on the pitch for all five of them, I think they came through with ticks in the box. And I think Joe's been really... released, however, back to Tigers actually uh, New York today. I feel gutted for Hazy. Yeah, I feel gutted for him because I I know even in that game, I didn't feel he got a fair crack of the whip and obviously had an unfortunate couple of penalties against Argentina, which I never saw the camera angle to realise whether or not he was being done over there or not. But for me, um, I I think he's a fantastic player. And as we saw against Bath, we do need, perhaps that tight head spot is an area of weakness for us once we get beyond hazy. So we really need him back selfishly. If he's not selected for the next two games, it's good news for Tigers. Agreed. Never easy going to Bath. My record now stands three attended, three loss. I think the first one I saw was when we lost 45-0. I think the next one was by about 20 points. This one was only by three. I'm getting closer, but I am i don't know if I'm going to go again, to be honest. I'm tempted to uh, phone up Bath ticket office and just say, you've got reports of a hooligan, uh, and just say, Yobbo <laughs> in the crowd, Michael Cooper at your address, and then just get you uh, struck off their ticket details to make sure you can never, ever attend. 
think that's probably fair enough, to be honest. Uh, I had my date. Well, we both were talking before the pod. We both had our sort of brief forays into the media this week. I was on Radio Leicester. I think Adam got desperate, realised he needed some pre-match analysis. I don't know who had dropped out. Someone who knew what they were talking about. So they they wheeled me in at the 11th hour to go and do their pre-match talk. Did he catch that? Uh, did he also find that I still had time to reference my grudge against Pat Lamb? I liked all of it. I, I listened Good. to... Uh, I listened to the 20 minutes you were you were on uh, on the airwaves. I was very impressed how you managed to segue the Pat Lamb uh, slagging off into it. I mean, it was a bit of a tangent to, to be able to get there, but I was always I was impressed with the commitment. <laughs> I was determined uh, beforehand. So imagine, I think they said it was you know this is local to you, isn't it? And I said, well, it's between Bristol and Bath, and I'd rather go to Bath rather than be indirectly paying the, the wages of Pat Lamb. I had to really bite my tongue. I was about to say "Papa fucking lamb," which is just how I say it now. So, better. but no, it was a, it was a um, it was an enjoyable twenty minutes listen. Um, to be fair, uh, so yeah, good work, good work. Thank you you, uh, you did the your sales work for the pod as well. So again, good work for going <laughs> on to the BBC and then referencing our pod. So again, good uh, at the expense guer- of the taxpayer. Guerrilla marketing. Yeah. Guerrilla marketing. <laughs> well, so my um, it, it, I was obviously how the game turned out ended up not being enjoyable. Uh, particularly that second half, which was shite. I think we're going to put just a single badge on it. But I was really surprised at the, the guys in Tell I saw them showing up because I had to get there early to do this thing on Radio Leicester. And I saw them walk by and A, oh my days, you forget how big George Martin is. And plus he's started to develop the Martin Johnson glower, you know, sort of the, the, the big sort of overhanging brow, which just casts a shadow over his eyes. And I was like, Jesus, that, that, that is one big guy. Um uh, also saw Bondi. Hi, Bondi, if you're listening. Very good. He's bigger than you think, you know, actually. I think it's because he's always next to one of the forwards. We always assumed he was going to be sort of, you know, five foot nothing. But he's he's sort of, I'm not small. I'm 5'11", six foot for doing my hair up. But he was he was about my height. So he's a, he's a solid lad. I can see why he'd be handy on the wing. But saw him, said hello. Didn't say hello to the rest of the lads because I shat myself. I didn't want to go, hi, hi, Andrew. We saw you on the pod the other day. <laughs> Freddie, it's me, your friend. <laughs> Um, and so I, I just sort of like kept my head down and walked by, but they were very much looking up for it. And actually, the way they played that first half, um, it looked like they meant business, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, Friday's game, I think we've all gone through the seven stages of grief, uh, as you referenced earlier on this one. Um, game of two halves, you know, you know, it sounds like you know, football cliches and all that, but it, it, it really was in, in that first 40 minutes, to be so dominant as Leicester were, that really was where the game was lost for Leicester because, you know, to have been that dom- dominant in that half and to look so impressive and to have so much control on it. But I think we all felt at half-time that the 15 points we scored wasn't enough and the seven-point gap wasn't enough to 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 make us feel comfortable. That really, you know, it, to be that dominant in that first 40 minutes, you really probably needed 22-plus points and really getting closer to 30 because we had the chances for it. You know, you know, if it wasn't for Harry Potter forgetting he was a professional rugby player and instead, you know, I'm going stars in the eyes. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be Skozan. Uh, <laughs> he did have a Skozan. I love Harry and his effort is never in question. And every player has a stinker. And I think, I think maybe he averages one bad game a year. I think it was against Leinster last year. Um, and I think it was this one this year where everything he usually does so well, his handling is usually top notch. Um, it just deserted him completely. It did. I just, I just felt so sorry for him because, like you say, all of us who have ever played rugby, even at the sort of low levels that um, 
that I played at, you know, if you have a stink, we all have a stinker and it's horrible. Yeah, some of us have more often than others, but uh, particularly as I get older. But I think it's important to say that whilst I think you can say, look, it's a bad performance and he'll acknowledge that himself. Well, it's certainly not going to be gunning for him. I'm sure. I want to see him get on the pitch straight away again uh, and rectify it because he is, he is very, very good. And he is a great player. He just had a bad day. That, that said, I can't emphasize enough. I wouldn't have come across on the TV, how great the conditions were. I was with my, my mate, Paul Squires. I'll give a quick hello to Paul, who watches the Bath game. Uh, he's a Bath supporter. I was watching it with me um, in our tiny little seats. And we were, joking sort of beforehand, you know, when players were dropping it, like, damn these dry, still conditions. It's exactly not what I was expecting. I mean, there wasn't, the wreck is famous for a wind swirling around because of how weird and exposed it is, but there was not a breath of wind, not a breath. It was really dry. It wasn't humid. I was just really surprised to see those errors. But let's let's start by talking positive because that first half, I thought there was loads to be quite excited about. Uh, and I'd quite like to start in the back row where I thought we saw some really impressive displays. Quick shout out on the Bath side. I thought Ted Hill was excellent. And I thought that it was a really good battle between him and George Martin. For me, I thought they sort of came out as a score draw on that. I thought they were both monumental. I think if Lesser had won, I think you'd have seen George Martin get the man of the match or Ollie Cracknell, uh, who will come to but say he was the other guy, Ollie Cracknell, I thought was magnificent. But um, what did he make of the back row, in particular, Martin and, and Crackton and Crackers? I mean, Ted Hill versus Martin is a proper slugfest, and uh, that's how it. George it it. Eddie Jones shoehorning in Mauro Itoje into that six shirt, and you've got two absolute gun sixes there. I mean, it's a great advert for uh, young English back row talent. To be fair, uh, between both of them, it was great to watch. I really enjoyed that back row uh, from Tigers. I think we all felt when the team was announced that that had a lot of power and were excited to see it go. I thought it looked really balanced. I thought um, the play, the, the three players involved suited um, playing alongside each other. What I liked about Cracknell is, you know, we spoke about it last week about his love of violence. and uh, well, He, he it, spoke about it himself. So right, he, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. He did. He did. Um, it's not just his power, which I find really impressive, but his intelligence with it. There's a, a lovely line in the first half where he cuts against the grain and gets through without a hand on him. And you just think that's, that's a sign of a really good player because he you know, changes his angle. The, yeah. Especially in the forwards. And you've spoken about it with George Martin as well before where his, his foot movement in terms of not just going into a one-on-one tackle where you can, you leave yourself exposed to being, you know, it's not in your favor. If by check, by shifting that angle of how you carry, it gives you a better chance of getting over the gain line. And George Martin at one point, you know, he has a, a run, and his legs are pumping and he's going and he's going and he's mm. going. And it's, you know, that's really impressive with him because it, it's... Is that the one off the kickoff, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I tell you what, he does Ben Spencer like a kipper with a step off his left foot. Leaves Ben Spencer in a heap on the floor just with a step from a back rower. And then, as you say, he powers into the gap. Three guys being dragged along with him. And, and Crackers, what I'd say about him, which I really like, is that when he does have those collisions, there is a level of aggression that is Jasper-esque in terms of he will not accept contact on anyone else's terms but his own. There's this snarl to not just take a hit and put your legs through it, but actually to drop his shoulder in. Almost that tackle the tackler sort of mentality. I'm going to dominate this. And that was so impressive. I thought the two of them in terms of carrying were the best players on the park, I thought, in that first half in particular. Agreed. And, you know, one of the reasons that 
um, we went for uh, crackers, as we shall now um, appoint him, is the um, is his carrying stats. I think his stats at both Ospreys and at Irish are, are some of the best around. And, you know, using money ball principles, which we've, we've spoken about, he's an ideal candidate for that because in terms of that salary he commands and the, the, what he brings, it's so such a good return on the investment. You can see why we do it. And it's invaluable in a reduced salary cap world in which we live in. And, you know, you speak about, you know, early on, Jasper's got a head knock. Now, we hope, obviously, Jasper will be back soon. But at the same point, Jasper's played a lot of rugby in the last yeah. two, three years. He's, you know, he's going to have to be rested between now and the end of the season. He can't, we can't just flog him, as tempting as it is, because of the skill sets he brings. So to have that option now in terms of, you know, you've got Martin, you've got Cracknell, you've got Sean Janssen coming through. Absolutely. These are the options where you you need to have. And as I say, I think with Crackers, he was absolutely superb. And just to reference um, another good point of what he did in terms of his game intelligence, bring it back to that. In the second half, where he notices from the driving mall, he's at the back, Tom Dunn comes in from the guard position and it leaves a gap and straight away, yeah. Crackers is, is off and through and we make yards from it. Now, the, the story of the night is that we do a great thing with that and then we we make an absolute mess of it two or three phases later down the line. Yeah. But, it, it you know, it's a story, it is the story of the night. But in terms of the individuality of the players we've got here, you know, you're starting to see George Martin just become into a real... I think it's going to be tough when... Um, Jasper does come back, but how you fit that balance of the back? Well, I don't think because... there's a pressure to play guys now when they're not 100%. Yes. Or, well, if anyone's ever 100%. Before, I think we've seen this display from Crackers. I wonder whether there's a thought to say, Jasper's pretty much there. Let's shove him back. I don't think you've got that pressure now, given the dominance that he had in the carry. Just on Ollie Cracknell, and we referenced the fact that we 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 couldn't think of a more archetypal Leicester Tigers forward, one that was kind of grown. And I was explaining this to Paul before the game of Bath. He was tell, tell me about this guy. And he says, well, I said, he, we think he was grown in a Leicester Tigers forwards lab. And he goes, ah, similar to Julian White might have been. I said, yeah, probably not dissimilar, really, Julian White. And he asked what Julian White's still doing. And his theory was that he was overseeing the birth of these Leicester Tigers forwards and sort of giving them the white hand of Saruman, putting them on all their faces as before they go into war, which I quite like the idea of Julian White just sort of putting his seal of approval on hard nutters that come forward for the Leicester Tigers. I'd quite like to see that, like an X, X Factor or Britain's Got Talent version for Leicester Tigers forward. That's actually top secret classified information that, you know, that's, that's like... <laughs> How that's dare like, I reveal that? I know, it's like government secret labs and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's like MI5. You don't talk about this, mate. You don't, you know, who do you think you are? Yeah, we'll go um, cut, cut this from the edit before uh, Bondi really gets pissed off. <laughs> but no, it's, to answer your question, yeah, he, you know, Crackers looks like he's come from that um, conveyor belt. And, you know, George Martin from the academy, again, you know, mm. turning into real top class um, players. The thing I would like to point out from that first half is actually we spoke about quite a lot this season is about the attack and how it's looked quite clunky and yes. quite looked quite easy to read and lacking in subtlety. I think the first 40 minutes um, from an attacking perspective was some of the best 40 minutes we've played um, all season in terms Agreed. of... I know, we didn't, I know we're going to talk about the negatives about the not finishing. We'll do that later. You know, we'll follow it on about we didn't finish them. But what was really impressive is the creation of the chances because that's possibly been something that we've been week on this season in terms of creating opportunities for our wingers and for our backs and not being able to to cut open a tough defence who 
you know, they, they, they've got us well read and got us matched up. You know, the fact that we were slicing open uh, for defence, the fact we were creating gaps up wide, the fact we were moving the ball at speed, there was some nice interchange in the back line in that first 40 minutes. You know, it comes from, as, as we've mentioned before, the forwards being really dominant at front, getting over that gain line, punching holes in that, um, in that Bath defence. Wigglesworth getting in as our scrum half on the evening, getting in there and whipping the ball away. Freddie standing close to the line and using the two physical centres to draw in uh, defenders and fix them to get out, out space out wide. That is exactly what the game plan is there for. That first 40 minutes, if you just if you were to sit down and say, I know Leicester kick a lot and fair enough, all the rest of it. But if you were to say, what do Leicester want to do with their game? That first 40 minutes is almost as bang on in terms of it, where you've got that that complete overlap between forwards and backs yeah. in harmony with each other. And I think that's a really impressive thing. And it was really disappointing in the second half because we didn't do any of it. No, I, and, and that was it. I mean, because I, I completely agree. I thought attacking-wise, the chances we were creating were astonishing. We should have, and this is not an exaggeration. Um, so, some of it you've got to put down to good desperation defence by Bath. Yes, but yeah. actually a lot of it is our own errors, as example by Harry, who basically had two open goals he gets over the line twice and drops it twice, once under no pressure whatsoever. And the other one actually was his own drop, his own elbow getting in the way as opposed to a bath elbow. So we should have had a bonus point score before half time. There were actually another three opportunities that I counted that we should have scored. A, a couple, I'd say, were, were good scramble, scrambling by Bath, but still stuff we should have finished. Um, but it was just mind-numbingly irritating how we didn't finish them. But in terms of the good bits, what I really liked was it all comes down to collision dominance again. And I saw that we had collision dominance over 50%, which is massive. And it wasn't just a yard here or there. It was going through players, bringing in the second or third. That makes the ruck speed quicker. That means that the defensive line is struggling and it can't set properly. And we were hitting them with wave after wave off Wigglesworth, off Burns, guys hitting different angles, as you said, really smart stuff in the back row, whether it be Hanro, George or or Crackers or, or, or Harry Wells or whoever's whoever was carrying was doing a really, really good job. And I, I've got to say, I thought it was a really, really impressive display. The, the gaps that were opening up around the fringes because of the sheer pace and power um, were so impressive. And Wigglesworth even got a couple of breaks off the fringes for us and he took them as well as he could. Uh, you wonder how JVP would have gone straight through them, obviously, as well. In terms of Wigglesworth made something of them, you wonder if JVP could have made even more of them, or Lenny even could have made even more of them. You know, Richard obviously isn't quite as quick as he used to be. But I thought he still had a, a very decent game. We'll come on to the use of the bench. I thought he looked completely blown out by the last quarter, and it's disappointing we obviously didn't trust Sam Edwards to come on. So I thought... That was really, really exciting and really good. And we talk about this. I don't want to dwell on them because two of them are absolute gimmies that Harry should score. One, that kick. Just want to give a quick shout out to Burns because he has such a hot and cold day, I I thought. Some of the kicking, I mentioned it with England, these low percentage kicks that you go to and, and go to them far too early when they should be a last resort for me or you wait until the opportunity presents itself so that they don't become a low percentage kick. They become a 50-50 or even a high percentage one. But the one he put in for Harry Potter that should have been taken was a moment of genius. There was I don't know if there are many five halves who would spot that opportunity to banana it off the outside of the boot. It was like a banana chip with Harry Potter on an outside break. And he has a chance to take it and walk in. Uh, and there's nothing else you say about that, apart from it, it's a bad cock-up by Harry 
Um, and then the second one, of course, he, he actually, his own elbow seems to get in the way. Uh, we had Wiggs and Tiger getting in touch, who, who was, I think, a few beers deep and, and was absolutely fuming about the decisions made by TMO. And But, you know, we know what Foley's like. But um, he said that there wasn't any separation on it. I, I'm not sure. For me, I think if I was a Bath fan, I'd be pretty livid if that was awarded personally. What did you make of that one? Um, I'd want to see it again. It didn't feel a a howler in my book. I'd, I'd have to see it again, is the honest um, thing. My initial reaction at the time was I thought he had dropped it um, and a couple of replays. I still felt it let it balanced towards um it tilted towards he dropped it happy to be proven wrong i probably need to have a look at it again um the reality is it, it, if if harry gets i know it's, it's tough in that situation having been in an, an ex-winger when you when you in that scenario and you come down your arms and legs are everywhere anyway and you're a bit disorientated because you're not sure where you are and all you want to do is score the try it's quite easy just to get in your own way and make a howl of it the debate isn't there if he just gets it down cleanly. Um, it's the same with that the the the, the drop from um, Freddie's kick. I mean, you're spot mm. on. You know, as an ex-winger, if you if when you're trying to chase the ball in that position, that's exactly where you want the ball to be. You know, you don't have to do anything with it apart from catch it, put it down. It's it's a monumental bit of skill from the fly half in this instance, Freddie Burns, to to get it there. It's just a shame that, as I say. It's not often how he has these these things, you know, 99.9% of the time he scores them. And you certainly don't have three in a row. It's like buzzes. Mm. You know, it, it's just unfortunate in yeah, that like, scenario. Like I said, the sec- the, one in the second half as well, where he dropped a kick under no pressure um, by our own line. That corner, he obviously hates that corner. We'll have to call that Harry's corner now because we don't want him anywhere near it going forward. Yeah. But he was basically starting him on the right wing next time and then switch him over to the left, whichever way is opposite that side, and tell him not to roam whatsoever. Yeah, be lazy, Harry. <laughs> be lazy. Be lazy. Just, <laughs> hang on. Anyway. Don't do any of your usual stuff. Just stay away from that corner. But, you know, that drop was actually quite a big momentum swing as well. And it's such a shame because he's a guy who worked so hard. I saw some people commenting, so I didn't rate the fact he was smiling, suggesting it didn't. That was him not taking it seriously. I call bullshit on that. And the reason I do that is because he's a guy who's a professional he he will be devastated about those mistakes however if what you're wanting him to do is to be you know close to tears putting his hands up desperately apologizing know that the way to do it is to acknowledge the fact that mistakes happen get over it move on and try and not let it linger now unfortunately either it did linger or he just had a bad night where his hands weren't turned on and i think that's probably the latter is probably correct but that kind of way of just almost minimizing the the mistake in your mind I think it's a completely valid way of dealing with things and it doesn't reflect actually how he probably feels about it. But I'm sure it doesn't. Let's talk about uh, one more positive I thought uh, that came out of that first half. Uh, that was Anthony Watson at fullback for me. Um, I thought, I could see you were annoyed because you were about, <laughs> I, I, you were Watson, obviously about to mention I got Watson, got, but, Watson to go. But it's good though. We're, we're both, we both, we, we, we we both, both have it. the same things. Say our level of organisation, given the illness we've had in my house. Um, it, so my wife and my kids are ill. I'm actually all right, but my wife and my kids are ill. So that's why we couldn't record yesterday. And we haven't done any prep for it. But Anthony Watson, for me, when we sign him, you think Anthony Watson is best. He has this level of electricity that other players don't have. In fact, I, I can barely think of any, perhaps apart from Radwan and Arundel now bursting through. Johnny May doesn't have it anymore for me. He doesn't have that sort of like that electricity. But Watson did, and it's that kind of that zero to hundred, which and and his changing of direction at such rapid speed that he could go anywhere. 
it frightens defenders. And I haven't seen that yet as he's worked his way back from injury. I saw that on Friday night. And I, even more as the game went on, actually, whenever he got a run, there was this this knowledge and understand that he was always going to beat the first one or two defenders, usually with a step or with a burst of acceleration. He was getting on the outside. I thought he looked so dangerous. And I thought that was a real big positive for us. We're getting the the real Anthony Watson. You're totally right. Yeah, and it is... It, I, I jokingly threw my hands up in the air, uh, but it's it's good that we both I, we both see the same things, which is which is good. I think with with Watson, I always hark back to the 2017 Lions tour, where uh, not just in the test matches but in the warm up games as well, he just looked so calm, so assured, and so classy. He just looked a really good player, and when I when 2019 I was, World Cup as well, actually, I thought yeah, that that's a good call as well. And when we, he was announced he was coming in, I harked back to, you know, you think of Watson at his best and you go, oh, that's exciting. You know, that's, a, that's an X, it's X factor. And it's an exciting player to, to go and watch. He's worth, you know, the old fashioned say, he's worth the admission money. You know, he would be that sort of player. We've not seen it so far. And there's been a few question marks about. Um, so that isn't him, it? though. I mean, he didn't get the ball against Harlequins. We said the best pass he got was from Esterhausen yeah. uh, from I mean, the intercepts. You've got to use him properly at the same yeah. time. So it's not all on him. And he has been injured. So I think there's been a few people who's gone, oh, not sure. I like you say Friday night, I think, put a few doubters, um, a few doubts to bed, I think. There was it was really good, really classy. And he looks international. You know, on a non-international um weekend, he looked every inch someone that looked a, a cut above, you know, good quality premiership players. He looked a bit bit extra, a bit special. Yeah. And um, really impressed by that. And I still think there's an extra gear to go with him. I think there's, a, there's still finding his legs and still finding his match fitness. I think there's another two or three levels, I think, to his game we could see. What I liked about him was not just the step, but it's his nuts and bolts in terms of the comfortable under the high ball. Mm. There's two or three grabs where I think you've got no right to get there. Yeah, or well, they're at least their 50-50s for fullbacks, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and I thought that was fantastic. And... And a defensive effort as well. I thought his defence was really, really solid. And his reading of the game is superb. And that incident in the second half, where which Austin Healy picked up on yeah. his analysis. Like Austin said, he's got no right to get there. You know, if you're one and a half, two metres behind the play on the turn and you're, you know, Baffer attacking the corner like that, that's you done. That's game over. That, that's that was also, was it Charlie Atkinson as well on that defence? Chris Ashton. Chris, that was, was Ashton, he... was it? Because I, I couldn't see it, unfortunately, from the screen. And, and I have to admit, I might have fast-forwarded through the second half highlights a bit quicker than I would have done normally. But I, I saw that it, basically he turned a two-on-one into a two-on-two through effort and turning to get back. It was a combination of it's the experiences. I know a few people go, oh, we've got the golden oldies and we need to get the youngsters in. And that is a very valid point and all that shit. But you should never over underestimate um, the validity and the importance of having players who have been there, done that and got the T-shirt. And Chris Ashton in that scenario and Anthony Watson proved the, 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 how important it is to have such good experience in it. Because Ashton held off and he held off and he held off and he didn't bite in and he made it, he, he bought Watson time to get back because if he didn't get back, he'd have to make, Ashton would have had to make the tackle, but it, making the bath play have to make a decision, and it's that in, it was that experience that gave us enough time to 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 affect that turnover. And between them, it was a really impressive bit of defensive work because yeah. at that point in time, I'm thinking about going that's try. You know, yeah, that, yeah. That's well, it, look, it looked it from that angle. Actually, from that uh, also on that side, 
we saw a similar break in the first half from Tigers, where I think Wigglesworth started off the back of a mall and passed it to Ashton. Ashton, brilliant defence there. He thought, I've got no idea why he kicked it in that corner. He got back inside to Wigglesworth. That's another thing we're going to look at again. You know, another missed chance, I thought, to put something away. But look, that's that's the first half. And I think, you know, we had a great try from Namani in the first few minutes, showed what he's all about. And actually, the way we used Namani as well, I thought him coming off his wing regularly was fantastic. A really good performance, I thought, by him in the first half. Uh, we didn't see him in a second, obviously, really. No. And uh, uh, But I, I don't think that's necessarily his fault. And, you know, fantastic finish. Really important that Sean Cronin um, got, got in. Did I say Sean Cronin? James Cronin. James Cronin. Every time. James, I say James Cronin, um, I thought, really important try for him at the end half. We were messaging each other saying to give us some sort of cushion. Alas, it wasn't enough. We messaged each other at half time saying, I'm worried this could come back to bite us. And Nostradamus over here was right uh, in that it very much did. Now, I think first thing, I thought Bath, credit where it's due, I think their belief grew as they they sort of clung on into the game and it became a real 50-50 as opposed to them just hanging on. They started creating some opportunities. And I thought, you know, absolutely, they they dealt with that. They grew in confidence and we'll get the finish out of the way now. I thought um, Will Butt, who got you know, done over for the, their first try. What a recovery. What an outstanding finish in that corner, in all fairness to him. Um, you know, it wasn't a bad tackle, I think, on him by Atkinson at all. He, he just finished it absolutely superbly. So credit where it's due for that. And um, yeah, the crowd went absolutely nuts, ruined it by playing sweet fucking Caroline. I can't stand that song. Uh, but why did we, do you think, move away from trying to play quite hard and fast Um we were still dominating collisions when we ran through it, but we seemed less willing to actually run through it. Do you think that was a player-led or a coaching-led decision to try and play less rugby? Because that's what it felt like, we were playing it's, less rugby. It's a tough one, because you're right, it looked like we stopped playing. You know, it, it, it's chalk and cheese, the two halves. Part of me wonders if the players interpreted the instructions wrong and took it to a too far degree, where... The instructions may have been be sensible, manage the game, control the game, um, but keep doing what you're doing. And obviously we're not in the dressing room, so we don't know what was said. But it it looks like a wrong interpretation of um of the messages that were sent because you wouldn't I don't believe you would ordinar- you would come into the dressing room as a coaching team after that first 40 minutes and go, don't do that. <laughs> you wouldn't, though, no, would you? You, you, wouldn't, you, you? More of the same, please, lads. But this time, can we remember to put our fucking hands on? Would be my yeah. uh, halftime team talk. Probably explains why I'm not a coach, if I was going to say that. But uh, you wouldn't be saying, lads, can we tone it down, please? I think we're playing a little bit too fast and aggressive here. Because that was what was causing Bath so many problems. It is. It is a very strange um, second 40 minutes because of how, how much we went off the boil and how quickly. Part of me wonders if. It is a psychological thing for the players in terms of because we've had a couple of defeats this season and there's a bit of doubt that's crept into the mind. Last season, it was we were on autopilot where we knew what we were doing. We went into the games fully confident and we got that momentum of winning games. And once you got that momentum of knowing how to win, including getting out of jail two or three times, you walk in on air because you've just got that arrogance yeah, and swagger. You just point. know. You just know. We've all been in that situation where even as fans, we went into those games going, 
Don't matter if it gets a bit tricky. We'll it's find ama- a way. It's amazing, isn't it? When the difference you have, that mentality, when you are the comeback kings, when you say, we're still in this, and almost the expectation is going to be. And then when you've had one go the other way, you start to get this little voice in your head. Like the other side, let's just say, like, Bath get a penalty. Like, you say, oh, it's happening again. Oh, God. And, you know, you, you can almost feel yourself going into a downward spiral. England have had that issue for the men's side for um, a number of years, I feel, that they can get in front and you know, but then implode, and I think that's always been a, an issue for them for over the last few years. We have watched both of us, Leicester City, enough times to know that you, when it gets to a oh, two 0 it usually, usually happens twice a season where we go from being we'll win from any position and then lose from any position. Always at the end but, when we'll go for Champions League football, the latter. Well, you know from watching Leicester City, we've watched enough um, City games where you know we're two one up, we're two nil up, and we suddenly decide to to stop what we're doing or the opposition start getting a bit of a, a run going and we don't react to it. We don't bring our substitutes on. We don't affect change ourselves. And I think that may be where the combination of, you know, you answer back to your original point of what happened, is it player-led or coach-led? I suspect, this is where I think it might be a bit of both. I think in the first 20 minutes, we knew Bath were going to come out and attack us, which they did. And there was a bit, Bath weren't never going to be that weak again in the, in the second half. They just weren't going to be, they're going to have a reaction. Bath came at us. We misinterpreted the instructions that was given to us by the coaches. We then were too slow, maybe from the coaching perspective, the idea to of taking utilize... the sting out, and then we turn that into a negative for us. Yeah, and then we didn't affect change ourselves by utilizing the bench to try and regain the initiative, and we just didn't. We never got ourselves. I don't think we had an attack in the twenty-two in the second half. We just no. we never got a foothold in the game, and you then compound that when you did, you work really hard to get yourself back into it. You make a howler or um, coming back, you know, Matt Scott, of all people, dropped an absolute do- dolly in the midfield from a promising attacking scrum. And you go, oh, God, Scotty, what are you doing to me? Or what really did annoy me, and this is um, something that really did frustrate me, is we'd got an attacking scrum in around, let's say, the 10 metre line in the bath um, half. Ball comes out to Freddie and we kick it. And it's like, it's not like you say, it's a low percentage kick. It's not exactly not what I was compete. talking about earlier. Yeah. We're not, we're not turning them. It's not a chip. It's not a grubber to, 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 with someone running through. It is a low percentage, aimless boot to kick the ball away from good field position when you've worked so hard, when you've, you've not, you're not back at the previous levels and you're trying to find a way back into the grain, you know, to boot for ball away like that, you know, that's where. We said against Exeter the first game of the season, kicking isn't intrinsically bad, but there's good kicks and bad kicks. That's an example of a bad kick where it's just, A, there's probably no need, but secondly, just hold on to the ball. Give it to Namani, just truck it up, set some faces up. Let's try and see if we can, you know, use our, like you say, we've got crackers, we've got Martin, we've got Hanro. We've got boys here who are punching holes into the bath midfield and getting us over to the game line. We've finally got the ball back, runs the pump. Let's go back to what we're doing. You know, ch- channel some A1 ball with people coming onto the ball at, at pace and just try and get a bit of pace back into it, a bit of momentum. But, you know, just to boot for ball away and then you can pound it with your own It's negative. It's, it's driven, driven by fear rather than uh, attacking aggression or intent, that was. And that's not what we want to see from the side. And like you say, kind of this for me felt was probably the hardest defeat to take. Uh, there was a lot of stuff about the officiating, which I understand, but this was truly one of those occasions for me where Tom Foley and his band of merry men should not have been a factor in this at all. We should have been out of sight with or without it 
we'll come very briefly touch on the officiating in a second. I want to just talk about the coaching because you mentioned it before. Like you say, whatever reason, whether it's misinterpretation or you know not the right instructions at half time, uh, and and or the players basically taking it way too far. They, we were still lit winning, you know, all through the game. We could, but we could see what was happening, and we didn't really respond. Now, Bath's bench, which I did, didn't necessarily think was stronger than ours, I didn't think our bench was was incredible, but I thought it was quite close. Their bench had a really good impact. I thought they they kept their intensity up, they built nicely, they never got in control, but they started to put a little bit of a squeeze on us. While stars really obviously didn't work, and there were some guys who didn't come on who you thought should have done, and other guys who came off who you thought shouldn't have done. Uh, the big one for me, unfortunately, is we're obviously lacking slight depth um, at tight head. Now, whether Will Hurd was uh, forced down or not, whatever, he he wasn't able to deal with the shenanigans and he was penalised twice. And I suspect Cole would not have had that. Van Vijk, I maintain, I'm not sure that he is the, the best reserve option at loosehead. James, uh, I want to know what's happened to James Whitcomb, for example, uh, from last season. We just haven't seen him. Uh, he's captaining the reserve side. I think he's better than that. And I think that we should be blooding him more. And, and frankly, what's the point in having Tom Cowan Dickey and particularly Sam Edwards? And I know that he's young, but Wigglesworth for me was out on his feet for the, particularly for that last 10, 15 minutes. His kicks were losing trajectory because his legs must feel like lead. I, I, I question there and they will have their own data and be able to make me look like a complete tit. And then Steve, we trust and all that. And I agree with that. But from my perspective, sat in the stands, which I'm sure is very ignorant. I wonder why we didn't use these guys. It felt like we needed some energy. We needed some inspiration. And it, uh, it, it, the wrong guys were taken off and the wrong guys were left on the bench. No, I think that's a very fair assessment. The, the, the one that shocked me by not being used was Sean Janssen. Just because of yeah, his... Yeah, he got, what, two minutes at the end, didn't he, I think? I didn't even think he came on, but... That's, he, that's, he, that's... He, did, he, did, he did come on, but I mean, for a... He might as well not have done, if that makes sense. I was too busy in the last two minutes crying my eyes out with fear. <laughs> so, yeah. as, as, quite rightly so, as it pre, as it turned out, to be fair. No, no, I, that, that, the, the overarching point is correct. You know, we speak about, you know, in fact, I saw a few comments saying, oh, it's, you know, Tigers badly affected by the internationals and it's the reason why you shouldn't, it shouldn't be played and all this fair. And yes, fair enough, we, we've all said for the calendar purposes, the crossover is, is, is ludicrous. It's not good for the game. But that isn't the reason why we lost the game. You know, that 23, we all, all of us looked at our 23 that was picked on Thursday afternoon. We went, oh, that's a good one. You know, all of us went, there's a lot lot to like about that 23. There's a good balance to it. There's good depth and all the rest of it. You know, so I don't think that's an argument that we can, that we can utilise here. Ultimately, like you say, this is where I think we were slow to respond to, to affect change. You know, Bath, you know, Van Graan was very, very open about it. He came on the, um, on the coach mic and he said we're going to use the bench and, and use that to shift our momentum it's a you know we've got a 6-2 bench we're going to use our mobilize our forwards and that's what they did they stuck to their game plan and they and they did that and it got them it allowed them to stay in the game claw the game back and, and eventually turn us over you know we i think we probably should have been more dynamic with it tom cowan dickey i love charlie claire but a hooker going 80 minutes yes Clark, charlie claire can do it but do you want him to do that especially in the last 10 minutes when he's you know we're under the pump you know Defending a driving wall, do you really want someone that's out on their feet doing it? Tom and Karen Dickey, I think, would have been a better position to in the last, last 15 minutes to to, have, to at least had an impact on something. You know, um, Sean Janssen's a big one for me. Every time I've seen Sean Janssen play, he gets over the game line with his carry and he adds that physicality and that aggression, similar to what Crackers and 
and George Martin were doing. You know, it's tough when those three are playing so well, but you've got a lad there in Janssen who's he's ready to go. You know, he's boxed. He's going to be pumped up having watched that second half and wanting to have an impact. And yeah, and Janssen wants it. Yeah, Janssen. Yeah. Janssen, Janssen, Janssen seems to me a talk, type of bloke that wants a fight just for for the sake of having a fight. You know, let him. <laughs> Let him, but in that game where Baff are making the substitutions, you may have a it game an idea. fizzled as well so badly in that second half. Like they say that's when we in the crowd got more interested in, and including Baff fans who were saying, "My God, this!" At least in the first half, they were watching them defend for their lives, and they found it interesting. In that second half, apart apart from a couple of breakouts, both by Baff actually, might add, which we've mentioned before. Um, also, quick note as well. I thought Ollie Lawrence again looks excellent and should be in the England squad. Fair play to him. Hope he keeps fit. Um, and I, I must say that that second half was so lacking in energy compared to what we'd done in the first half. You're exactly right. This is where I thought you needed that injection of Jansen and, and Edward. Sometimes we talk about the importance of experience, but sometimes enthusiasm, youthful enthusiasm, is needed just to try and pick yourself up. And if you can combine it with your experience, you know, harness it properly, it's right. Now, let's very quickly, before we go to three-word reviews, let's just talk about the end. Now, you mentioned to me something about Guys being taken out off the ball, fully missing it. Um, I've had a quick look through, admittedly when I was half cut, having come back and you know still you know looking through tears in my eyes. Um, I, I apparently, fully mentioned it. So, can we have a look at it? And TMO didn't. I, I couldn't see it personally. What, which bit were you talking about? So, I think it's two rucks or two phases before the ball goes out to Will Butt. It's either two or three. There's a clear out from the bath. Um, forward or whoever it is, but just takes out the guy um, way beyond the ruck, and it it spots a bit of a gap, and it's just a it's it's taking the the man out effectively. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I to come back to the question of 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 Foley overall, Foley didn't cost us the game, and no. that decision that decision itself. Whilst I thought there was something there to have a look at, and I was disappointed by even if it's nothing, even if it's nothing, but in a big cool like that you've got the time just go and have a look at it it costs you nothing just to have a look and say look I think someone's been took off took out off a ball here just can have a look at it cost you nothing wouldn't have had a wouldn't minded if he'd had a look bit of nothing try stands go for it I think it's poor form to, to in a big call to not look at it Foley's performance overall we know Foley is a is a, um, a it's one of the weaker referees in the competition. Yeah, he's an eclectic um, referee, and we know he has his moments. He didn't lose us the game. In the, in the same point, if if you look at the last two or three times we've had Dixon, we've played him out of the game by our own um, good play, and the fact we've not even mentioned mm. you've forgotten that Dick, Carl Dixon is a uh, was the referee. The fact is, you you take for ref when you have a poor referee or a perceived weaker referee you it becomes more important to take them out of the game if tigers to take their points that were on offer tom foley's a, a footnote in in the 80 minutes he yes he did make some bad calls yes i think there was some um questionable decisions yes i think that that last place has been looked at no it's not the reason that we 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 lost the game leicester lost that game ourselves and uh, that's probably why it feels so hard to take and that's why you know the old man on uh, on Saturday was uh, was still sulking for the twenty four hours because it was a tough you know it's such a tough defeat it's a way it's a game we had in the bag you know and it to talk to talk about one more negative it's the second time now where with a minute to go both at Exeter and now on Friday night Tigers have got a scrum and to see the game out you know at way at Exeter we get a free kick yeah. off the scrum 
we boot the ball 50, 60 yards. I didn't have an issue with that. It was a free kick outside the 22. You know, we concede a sloppy penalty that gives them an opportunity to boot the ball into our, um, deep into our 22. You know, same again on Friday night. You know, you get a scrum a minute to go. Yes, the scrum's under pressure, but fair enough, Wiggy's on the pitch at this point. And we can argue about whether Edwards should have been or shouldn't have been. Wiggy's an experienced player. Hanro's an experienced player. That should have been straight. That should, that should have been straight to the eight up, run it into the midfield and let's just go for a couple of phases. The yeah. fact that it was allowed to, it just wasn't swift enough to get that ball out yeah. and it created an opportunity just to concede a penalty. A fair play to the Bath guy, I think it was Shulcock, to boot the ball to the five-metre line on that angle. I, it, might, it might have been uh, Gallagher, actually, I think it was. Who, been, who did. Yeah. But because, I mean, Bailey had been pretty average kicking from hand. And then I think Gallagher goes, oh, give me that, I'll sort it. A hell of a kick to get him into uh, the spot. But anyway, let's take a look at some three-word reviews. Elliot, what have you got? Yeah, so first one for me was from John Tugard um, at Revic um, on Twitter, who I agree with completely, but first half wastefulness. You know, as we mentioned, that's the story of the game for me, that first 40 minutes. Did the coming away with only 15 points, it should have been a lot higher. That's game over. Uh, Will Nunn. Um, great Twitter handle, the Nunchucks. Very good. Ma- <laughs> That's fantastic. Maximum use of your surname there, sir. Well done. Um, says Cracknell looks proper. Um, and he puts in brackets. Trying to take the positives out of an agonising defeat. I agree. I think this is the game. We saw some hints of it, haven't we, off the bench where he's looked good. This is the game for me. I think Cracknell announces himself as being a real force and not necessarily even the first choice team, but as part of that wider first team squad. And he's going to uh, have a serious impact over over the next few years. No, totally. It was great to see, um, to be fair. Um, Michael Bird, very succinctly just put, balls that up. Yeah, it links into the first one I, I said. But yeah, it it's it comes back to the, the point that we lost that game um, ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm going to also a similar one as well, Adam Turner. And I'm basically using this, Adam, because I very much like the use of the picture from um, Blackadder Goes Forth of Captain Darling saying, made a note in my diary today. Simply says, Bugger. Uh, and Adam Turner's put one word, bugger. And I, that is true, although I was actually using several words uh, with several adjectives as well after that defeat. But that is how it uh, was summed up. Just a quick shout out to Claire Weatherkins as well. Um, I know I'm cheating here. Claire Hopkins, sorry, um, who got in touch and said uh, red zone efficiency lacking. Now, I think that that is red zone. She tries to hyphenate. I think that's cheating. But I think that, again, is talking about that. That the fact we didn't take our chances in the first half is is a the, the reason we lost. We can complain all we want about Foley, but that he wasn't the reason we lost. Okay, are we all ready for some brutality because that is very much the vibe as we walk into our homegrown heroes section where we pick the best fifteen that's played for lesser tigers that was slightly wider than homegrown we say anyone born or, or sort of born i suppose raised on these aisles so nothing from overseas we go for the brexit agreement effectively has to be great britain only so let's uh we had inside center uh and you went solo on that we were debating over messaging as to whether or not we should include manu uh and a couple of others actually um who put like hip kiss as well um who predominantly play 13 but did fill in at 12 and we were umming and ahhing about it. And I quite admire this about it. You just took it by the balls and said, no, we're only playing out and out 12s in the 12 shirt. Uh, and so we were left with just two, weren't we? 
Yeah, apologies uh, for that. No, uh, I didn't. Re- I didn't reply. I think I say I was off. I was off gallivanting on this weekend away. I didn't reply, and then I checked the Twitter, and I was like, "You cheeky shit!" But actually, fair enough. I was leaning that way anyway. I uh, just I- wanted a Manu Tuolagi and Ollie Smith centre partnership, but defensively, that may have been all over the place. <laughs> that, that's very fair enough. Thank you very much to shout out as always to SPK on uh, Twitter because he has an unbelievable. Uh, record-keeping spreadsheet and statistics um, spreadsheet, which we he- relied heavily on. We do have he- rely heavily on throughout this process, but more so than ever. Twelve position, it was invaluable to sort of yeah. sift through, and it's um, sexy as well. I'm not going to lie; I was quite attracted to that spreadsheet. It's a very you good spreadsheet. Love a spreadsheet. Uh, Could color code it if I'm being, you know, providing my feedback. But you know, leave that to him. <laughs> I mean, leave your naughtiness on uh, to the sidelines here. <laughs> the spreadsheet's glorious. Don't 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 affect don't besmirch it. Na- it. Don't besmirch with your naughtiness. Um, no, thank you, SPK. It is much appreciated as always, and it was actually a an invaluable thing. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but if you if you did, sorry to repeat myself, but to to those who didn't, the reason why we kept it down to two is because the other contenders of um, possible part time twelves, they. Effectively, by looking at the stats that um, SPK had provided, if it, it ended up being somewhere between fifteen to twenty-five percent of their overall centre for appearances were made at twelve, I made the call that that wasn't a high enough percentage to justify putting in. Um, for that, I'd prefer to just rely on specialists, and I didn't want to shoehorn. I think with percentages those low, I thought it would be shoehorning players in. So that's the rationale behind it, and we were left with two which is obviously good. So for two are Stuart Potter and Anthony Allen. Uh, both of us uh, said we've, you know, both had good points to say about both players. Anthony Allen was more my era and I was a big fan of his. I didn't quite get to see Potter, but... No, I mean, Potter, Potter was when I was very young. I would say, you know, just to try and put myself in your age bracket, Anthony Allen was still more my era of being able to properly watch him. But as a very young man, I remember Stuart Potter. And probably not dissimilar to Guy Porter, actually, in kind of how he plays that sort of stocky, compact compact player. But I was expecting, given the fact he, he perhaps didn't have the more recent recognition that Anthony Allen did, I and he played quite a lot of time in the amateur era as well I was expecting him to struggle in this and I think that proved to be the case yeah I mean it's as as some some of these votes have been very very tight this is not one of them Anthony Allen absolutely uh scorched away with 91% of the vote um which is like you say probably not surprising to be honest no and I think if you're being sensible and picking a team it it would be Anthony Allen at 12 because I think that when you talk about a glue player, a guy that would bring it all together, you've got you know, you've got Lenny at 40 uh, at nine and ten, and we're hopefully gonna have some excitement outside him as well. Um, you want a guy who's gonna be defensive linchpin. I mean, we can't always I mean <laughs> opposite them, they're going to have Pat Howard and Sari Rambetti, which might destroy them in defeat, you know, on the tackle, or it might leave gaps all over the place. Uh, you're good, but they're going to be very dangerous in attack. You'll need Anthony Allen's brains and defence to organise that. So I think it is a very, very sensible choice. Um, yeah, I'm not necessarily Pat, all, I'm not necessarily all for sensible choices on this, but but perhaps it is the right decision. Absolutely. And like you just said, Pat Howard at 12 in the import 15, Anthony Allen at 12 in the homegrown 15. Pretty very tasty... Pretty tasty now, match. Now, 13 is very exciting. 
I think. And again, the brutality continues, does it not? Because again, thanks to SBK, we had a look at his spreadsheet and he banged off six absolute household names that um, are all in contention. It was interesting to see um, Ollie Smith had the most caps at 13, I think, um, at 107. Then it was followed by Matt Smith, who I was surprised because he was never first choice. He was always filling in, but it shows, again, what a wonderful player, why he was in the cult corner 15 as well. So he had Matt Smith there. Then he had Dan Hipkiss, Leon Lloyd, Will Greenwood, and, of course, Manu Tuolangi. Um Six wonderful players, all iconic players. Um, we're going to just chop away two of them straight off the bat, aren't we? Unfortunately, yeah. Matt Smith, unfortunately, um, is going to go. Wonderful player, wonderful club man. However, as a uh, bastion of the um, Colt Corner um, side, we think it's 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 not appropriate to include him into this one. Um, it is a shame, as we are big Matt Smith fans. Yeah, um, uh, however, uh, uh, we don't want him being greedy, basically. His ego is big enough as it is being in the cult corner stalwart. We don't want him being this, effectively a homegrown hero as well. So he's gone. And also, a bit of a legend of the English game, but for me, you know, perhaps not long enough at Tigers, Mr. Will Greenwood also gets a chop. And a good point was raised. I think it was Ian Morton who raised it. He said, had the number 13 on his back, particularly post-97. I think it was after the Lions tour when he had a very bad injury where he swallowed his tongue, I think, wasn't it? And he was wearing the 12 shirts. And after that, he insisted on wearing 13, even if he was playing as an inside centre. And he carried that on for England as well. So the stats as to what shirt he was wearing are slightly misleading. Plus, obviously, he did leave for Harlequin, spent the majority of his career there. Wonderful player he, as he is. For me, he doesn't fit in with the other top four legends that we have listed there. He also had a terrible lid when he left us. So that's a... Um... Um, a good enough reason. I, to... I don't know that the problem is that enough good players have had the highlights, the shocking highlights. Uh, have that you? I, I actually once did try and get highlights in my hair, like streaks, just blonde, like tips, kind of, kind of you know, very late 90s, kind of early noughties, like Anton Deck style. And I was trying to do that, but I didn't, the, the, I didn't say I didn't, the address didn't leave it in long enough. So actually, it just came out like ginger. So I had like basically, I voluntarily got ginger flecks in my hair. Um, that was a, uh, one of the several low points um, of my early teenage years, but we won't talk about that anymore. Let's talk about, if please, please, let's talk about anything else. Let's. Uh, I think, I remember Ollie Smith went bleach blonde. Obviously, JVP and Freddie Stewart have gone bleach blonde recently as well. So I'm I'm going to reserve judgment on the hair anyway. So, But either way, so we're, le- we're left with four now, aren't we? Yes, and I think this is a fascinating battle. Um, Ollie Smith, Manu Tuilagi, Leon Lloyd, Dan Hipkiss. Wow. Wow. Uh, I know who I'm going for, and I don't think it's going to be someone who's going to win. I think I think I know who's going to win, and I know who I'm going for. I know who I think will win. I know who I'm going to go for, and I think it's the same as you. Uh, okay, we'll set on three. One, two, three. Ollie, Ollie Smith. Smith. Yes, absolutely. The Prince of Centres. Correct. Okay, to be specific, 2004 to 2005 vintage Ollie Smith who was, I, in my opinion, and actually I, I suspect anyone who closely watched rugby, the best outside centre in Europe in that season. We went put, went away to Leinster and him and Daryl Gibson, Torconton Pony and Brian O'Driscoll, a new one, they made them look very silly to a point. I remember seeing uh, an interview where apparently every coach, apart from Andy Robinson, who was insisting on Jamie Noon, and he was on the selection committee for the Lions, was saying, I think we should take Jamie Noon. All the coaches were saying, no, we think Ollie Smith needs to go. I know Driscoll apparently stepped in as the tour captain and said, I've played against both, Noon for Ireland, 
Ollie Smith freely goes, I've never played against someone like that kid before. And he, I remember I found some highlights of that try he scored, which he dummies Contaponi, leaves him on the grass and then burns the defence on the outside. He was a wonderful, wonderful player. He had everything, power, pace. This is basically a bit of a wet dream for me being able to talk about it finally on a podcast. It's basically like me talking about Guy Porter these days. So I think for me, as brilliant as Manu was, and as explosive as unique he was, and I suspect he will win, and I think he might win quite well. For me, it's Ollie Smith. Manu is the mainstream option. Ollie Smith is the uh, alternative. Uh, alternative option. This is grunge option. Well, Matt Smith. Uh, put it this way: Manu is Carling. Uh, Ollie Smith is a craft beer. Mm. Ollie Smith is neck oil. If yeah. we're going to if we're going to use a bar tap analogy here, uh, let's move on to Leon Lloyd and Dan Hipkins because I think it would be um, yeah. remiss of us to 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 not mention them. And we'll give Manu a proper um, review as well. To be fair to him as well, Leon Lloyd uh, had him on the pod earlier this season, and like he said, he uh, admitted he said thirteen was his natural um, position. I probably started watching Tigers in the last couple of years of his career with us. Uh, so probably more one for you to, to, to big him up. Yeah, it's an interesting one because the latter part of his year was when he played more at 13 and he was really, really good. So solid. But for me, being selfish, though he said 13 was his favourite position because he got his hands on the ball more. I always thought his best work was done on the wing when he could roam a little bit more. He could use his height, use his power, get a little bit more space than perhaps he got in the 13 channel. Wonderful player, hell of an athlete such an impressive guy as when we spoke to him earlier this year as we found out what an absolutely um, professional and, and diligent guy he was um, and fitted right into that Tigers ethos uh, a real legend of the club so he is a very very worthy option the reason I'm not picking him though is, is I'll say I think I saw his best work I think on the wing particularly obviously you think to the Stade Francais final as being the iconic a couple of tries that he scored there uh, and then Dan Hipkiss I think it was such an interesting player because he was always in Ollie Smith's shadow and he slowly started to kind of come into his own. I was ne- never particularly rated him, if I'm being completely honest. And he had a couple of seasons where he became such a, a, a unique outside centre, that ability to step and to stay on his feet. Obviously, the, an iconic try as well um, in the Premiership final 2010, I think, uh, was when Saracens, you know, he took a high shot. Everyone stopped thinking it was going to be given and he was under about three plays and he burrowed through like a demented mould still Bill McLaren's infamous commentary from Channel Labour Rugby 95 on the PlayStation. Um, you know, a brilliant player when, when he was at his peak. Then he got lots of injuries, unfortunately. We didn't perhaps see him for a prolonged period of time um, because of that. So, again, I, I think he was a fantastic player and a worthy winner as well. And then Manu, like you say, freak of nature, force of nature, wasn't he? When he was fit, the big when... Uh, and when he was firing, uh, he was unbelievable, particularly those first few years. Then he won. I mean, it's a shame Chris Ashton plays for us now because <laughs> obviously it was always kind of a big feather in his cap that he lumped Chris Ashton three times and basically got away with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, shout out to Dan Hipkiss uh, for me. Really good player. Just he came from sort of nowhere, like you said. He's always got a, a, a feature of Tigers folklore with that try. Not sure I'd have fancied defending if it had just been a penalty. <laughs> if it had kicked the three points, I'm not sure defending that last 90 minutes would have last 90 seconds would have been um, as calm if, without that sort of buffer in it. Also, to Leon Lloyd, if you haven't seen it, if you go on YouTube and type in Tigers Treble 2001, there was a superb two two and a half hour documentary of that season. Um, Leon Lloyd scored some wonderful tries in that, and I think some were mm. a crossover at 13 and 14. Yeah. So definitely check that out. Uh, Manu, yeah, look, I think. 
superb uh, player at a period of time. And still is, to be fair, world-class. Uh, but at, at Tigers at times, he was genuinely, frighteningly world-class. Um, really powerful, superb pace, just a real good centre. And that Anthony Allen-Manu combination for the year uh, that it was, it was in partnership, or two years, was just a fantastic balance between uh, the two. Uh, and like you say, that first two or three years where from 2010 up to 2013, you know, he was just untouchable and he just looked absolutely frightening. Um, then the injuries kicked in. Whoever and and, and a bit like England, it was always the wait till Manu's back. Everything will be all right when Manu's back. Uh, and in some ways, in hindsight, you kind of wonder if it held us back, that mentality. Yeah, and at times, I think we forgot how quick uh, Manu was and we, we bulked him up so much. I remember the... Um, first home game of Matt O'Connor era at home to Bath. I remember just looking at Manu on the um, from the terrace and he just looked big, but his thighs looked huge and he just looked too big for his body. And I think that, again, had a bit of an impact. I was at his... that game and I remember seeing him after his first tackle. I kept an eye on him. So I was saying, I wonder how he's going to hold up. And I said to him, he's, he's done something already. And he, he was walking off, kind of holding his groin again straight away. And he's just like, you know, that's a point when your ligaments can't hold together the weight of the muscles on your body. But anyway, four unbelievable players there. Um, vote Ollie Smith, but also vote <laughs> for who you want to win. So it's going to be... Um... We're normally so impartial on <laughs> this. <laughs> no, but Lani Tualagi, Ollie Smith, Dan Hipkiss and Leon Lloyd, four fantastic choices. And we'll get them up for you to vote later this week. Okay, well, that just about brings us to the end of the podcast. A bit shorter this week. We don't have a Premiership match to look forward to. There's just a Premiership Cup game, um, which is obviously more of a development side. We don't know really what side we're going to put out. So we just have a very quick look forward to that. And the best person to turn to here is Elliot, because in keeping with our brief race into the media, you were at the press conference today, weren't you, with uh, Brett Deacon and two players. It was it Ilione and young Mr Woodward. Yes, it was. Uh, managed to blag myself in, but representing the pod. So, uh, uh, on hand, <laughs> doing our bit, doing our bit. Uh, no, really good uh, to talk to Brett. I, I find Brett a fascinating listen. Lesson, uh, listen, sorry. <laughs> lesson. Um, I think he's a great guy to listen to because he is so to the point and it is very Leicester in terms of his bluntness and there's no sort of waffle or, or flannel, <laughs> unlike me. Uh, really impressed with Brett, how he comes across in terms of what they're using the competition for in terms of they want to see how the lads stick to a game plan. They want to be test that game plan to be tested. They want Saracens or whichever opposition it is to come and test the boys. They want to see how the young lads step up to that. And they want to see when the questions are asked of them, do they buckle or do they stick to what they've been told to do and stick to the game plan of what they, you know, how they think they're going to break down um, the opposition. And so I think it was really interesting how they spoke about, you know, this is a um, performance led side especially more so in the development team more than anything and hopefully they get a win at the end of it and it's looking at how the boys you know adapt to what's put in front of them how hard they work their work rate their um, effort their fight stick into the game plan so that was really good to listen to from from Brett and he made a point of um, I asked about the um, selection policy about the consistency in selection of the Prem Cup more so than last year, and they said it was. A, and Brett said it was about building partnerships, building that cohesion, and 
you know, part of the development is to see how the boys get used to playing alongside each other and building combinations. So to your point about, about Whitcomb earlier, maybe that may have been a thinking behind it in terms of mm. we want him to be captain, we want him to do 60 minutes rather than 15, 20 minutes off the, off the bench. Maybe, not sure. Um, hopefully after Christmas, we'll see Whitcomb go into that um, bench position. It, it is interesting that Brett said that he's got, he felt there was a few boys who are not now knocking on the first team door which I thought was interesting. So again, hopefully we'll see some of that yeah. on Saturday. Um, Emeka Ilioni, I thought is a really impressive young man. Very intelligent, very well-spoken. You'd want him in your team. I think he's a really exciting um, person, actually, let alone just a player. Doing a medal degree, he's um, doing his studies at Nottingham oh, University. he's one of those, is he? Like, wants to be a doctor. Uh, of course, yeah. Really intelligent, really good at sport, good-looking, you know, I'm not going to say what else, but I bet you know he he's basically got everything going for him. Yeah, uh, I mean it is it is annoying Sickening. how how good he is at life. <laughs> to be fair, he's only twenty. Uh, no, no, in a fairness, I really enjoyed listening to Emeka. I thought he was a a, a fascinating uh, listen, um, old head on young shoulders, and I think he's got a big future for him. He was he spoke about wanting to learn from all the ball uh, back rows that we've got at Tigers, and he wants to take stuff from. George Martin from def- in his defence, you know, Tommy over the ball, Jasper with his his ball carrying. He said, "I want to incorporate all of those and almost be a, you know, a, su- a super back rower by taking all the good stuff," which I thought was brilliant. Um, Joe Woodward, bit younger than uh, Mecca, um, so he's a bit earlier on in his development. He he spoke about how he just wants to enjoy his his rugby and keep developing and improving his game. He spoke about. Um, how he's working with Jason, Jacob Cusick in that centre partnership about working on you know shutting down the opposition, understanding what the opposition wants to do, both in attack and defence, and working together to break the opposition down to get Tigers onto the front foot and working with the inside backs to, to be able to do that. He's a, a really, um, again, another good guy uh, to listen to. He spoke about how Jimmy Gopuff, um has come in and has really helped him with his kicking and how Jimmy's given him some lessons in terms of um, you know, how to develop his game. So I know we've we've spoken about Jimmy before, but I think that sort of experience is invaluable because you know you how many times you're gonna get a um a centre like that where you can you can learn off. It's a perfect uh thing for a, a lad of, of Jose. So yeah, between both of them, I expect both will start on um Saturday. Both have played all the games so far. Joe at twelve, Emeka at um seven in the back row. Really um looking forward to the game. I'm going. Hopefully there's a few tigers. Uh, fans going down to uh, Lanza Cockneys. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to, to start this game. We've got nothing to play for, unfortunately, uh, with two defeats. Oh, you, you know, that, in a way, in itself, is in a bit of a positive, isn't it? I mean, yes. hopefully, kind of see the guys free us up and concentrate purely on the performance as opposed to other bits and bobs. So I'm I'm quite looking forward to that, they say. I think there's a few guys I'm looking forward to seeing Samaki again, looking forward uh, as well to seeing... Um, well, Ilioni as well, I think, is, is a guy who can potentially start to be looking at that wider first-team squad role. Sam Edwards as well. Sam Edwards, of course, yeah, a guy who should have got on. Jansen, another guy who you should have got on as well um, last weekend. But we'll look forward to that. Best of luck, guys. We're not going to do a squad prediction because we don't know enough about what Saracen's going to put out to be able to say that. Obviously, it'll be a development competition for them as well. But best of luck, boys. As always, we hope you've liked listening to this week's podcast. Thank you very much, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Bye.